short loss in uh, Game 2 tonight of the Western Conference Final. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports on by Harrison Fagan and his silver screen and roll. And Harrison, good to hear you're doing better. Uh, let's uh, go back and uh, let's just start with what, what was your take? What did you take out of Game 1 when uh, the Nuggets had the big lead and then held on to win? Well, Bob, I, I think uh, I called this one when last time I was on here, and I said you weren't going to have me back till something went wrong. And, uh, like, here we are. Uh, Lakers, Lakers dropped game one, uh, their first game one of the postseason. But, no, in all seriousness, it's good to be back, and uh, thank you for having me, as always. And, um, yeah, I think, my, honestly, I did not expect the Lakers to win game one for a team that has been as up and down in terms of energy and execution and has both of their stars sort of playing through active, you know, foot injuries of like various types I just didn't think I thought with the altitude in Denver getting making that adjustment I just thought that it was going to be too hard for them to turn it on and steal game one especially against a team that in the Nuggets that's frankly better than either of the teams that they've played so far and you know have home court advantage for a reason and was going to be extremely motivated to come out and show you know hey we have home court advantage. Like, we had a better record than this team. We are the title. I think they're the title favorites at this point, or they're up there. Um, or we are favored in the series for a reason. And, you know, I thought they came out and showed many of those things. Yeah, the altitude thing, Yeah, we just watched the Suns. They lost all three games yeah. in Denver. And a lot of the media folks here, you know, blame the altitude, which I kind of think was a little ridiculous. But, you know, I'm not quite buying the Lakers' altitude thing in game one because they got stronger in the second half on Tuesday night. So maybe it wasn't as big a factor, but maybe it is. Well, you know I think, better than I. I think it's always my, – my stance on that, because I'm with you. Like, I, I think, number one, I'm not saying this is like an excuse. I'm not making excuses for the Lakers. Like, this is just like sort of a reality that they have to deal with. And they still got absolutely outplayed in the first half. I just think that my – stance on that and from like listening to players talk about it is it sounds like it's a thing where you're just not used to like you know you just feel a little slower at the start of the game and it's like oh man like wait I'm not going as fast as I'm used to going and I think it does kind of hit you immediately out of the gate like if the Lakers mm -hmm. lose tonight I'm not going to be saying you know oh man they just couldn't deal with the altitude that's that's totally unfair that teams have to play in Denver they, they should they should move or something like that but I think that like <laughs> initially in game one of a series when you haven't dealt with it in a while I do think that it's a little bit of a factor and I think it sort of you know would explain partially that slow start and them just getting absolutely kicked in the teeth for you know an entire first half uh before kind of starting to figure some things out and maybe acclimate and adjust in uh in the second half but yeah I mean all credit okay. to Denver because they they absolutely came out and earned that one and took it I was not trying to say that, that you know put an asterisk on their victory no, I wasn't inferring that, but I mean, that yeah. seemed like a lot of folks around here thought that that's why the Suns lost. They just weren't good enough, <laughs> so they just yeah. No, a lot of folks around yeah, a lot of folks around altitude, here can't accept that. <laughs> I'm I'm sure the altitude did not help, but I don't think the altitude was the reason that the Suns supporting cast that is not very good was not very good. You know, right? Exactly. Totally agree. Okay, so the Nuggets got they got, they scored 132 and they shot 55 percent in Game One. Yet Lakers had the previous ranked top uh, playoff defense. So why were the Nuggets so efficient and effective offensively in the Game One? At least through three yeah, quarters. You know, I, they I were. Think, 
yeah, through three quarters they were, and I think that they're, we're going to continue to see more of that. I don't think, you know, I, I'm sure that we were going to talk about this, but the Rui adjustment of putting him on Jokic and allowing right. AD to roam, like, I think that that made a difference. And part of the reason that I think that the Nuggets were able to get going so well in the first half is that, you know, while AD is an incredible defender, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the league right now, you know, especially given what he's shown during this playoff run, just like uh, unbelievable stuff. But he is at his best when he is able to roam and kind of serve as that secondary, like, I'm going to blow these packs up. I'm going to make your life miserable at the rim coming in from the weak side and, you know, making you think about every single pass and shot that you're taking. And so, like, while he can somewhat capably defend Jokic one-on-one or at least make life a little bit difficult on him, I think that, you know, when you take him out of that roamer role, you're taking him out of what makes him most effective and most devastating as a defender. And so I think that you saw a little bit early on in the first half. Number one, the Lakers starting lineup going small to start that game. You know, Denver's Denver has a big lineup for the most part. You know, Jokic is obviously gigantic, but everyone across positionally across their team is fairly large for their position group, you know, at least in that starting unit and they unit and they were shooting over that three guard Lakers backcourt like they were folding chairs. And so I think that was part of it was, you know, if you have A D where he's certainly not going to roam off of the two time MVP and then, you know, you have LeBron and D these guys that are sort of, you know, charitably not going to be described as the most active help defenders uh in the league. And then, you know, you also have a size disadvantage and you're getting killed on the boards because the AD can't, you know, maybe he can box out Jokic, but, you know, that's going to be, require a certain load from him and other guys are going to have to dig down and sort of secure those possessions that end them. I think you just sort of had a recipe for disaster a little bit uh, when you factor in sort of also that maybe their legs were a little bit, you know, out from under them to start that game uh, in addition. Okay, so, you know, we're talking with Harrison Fagan from Silver Screen and Roll. Let's get to the you know the the Rui factor here. You know, the, the fact, let me go back first. The, the, the Suns obviously trying to defone Jokic is a problem, and it's a you know yeah. a nightmare for every team. The Suns almost never never double teamed him. I presume that might be one reason, if not the primary reason, that Monty Williams is out of work now. Uh, I mean, the Lakers did mix it up in Game One, including the Hachimuri as the primary defender. And Davis is a you know, rover-type defender, as we mentioned. Do we expect more of that tonight? I do, yes. Like, I, I think that the Lakers, number one, I would expect Rui Hachimura to start. This is not reporting, but, you know, I think Chris Haynes just had a report that the Lakers are considering a starting lineup change. Like, my, my guess right. would be that Rui moves in there. I think this is pretty clearly a Rui series, especially with he showed that just, like, physically he can hold up and he gives the Lakers some size that they really need with that starting group and how big Denver is. Um, and so I would expect him to start. I think that'll be part of the adjustment. I don't think that, uh, you know, I know that the, it's been like a fairly common take that like, oh, like the Lakers figured it out. They, you know, they, they got this. And now, now that they have this sort of defensive strategy, I, I don't think that you can throw the same thing at Jokic for, you know, 38 minutes or however many he's going to play and not get sliced and diced. Like he is maybe the best passer. He's the, probably the best passer in the NBA right now probably the best big man passer ever or at least up there you know you're not going to be able to show him the same look for an entire game and not have him figure it out but I think that what the Lakers have to do is vary things up I think you're going to see some Rui on him I think you're going to see AD as his primary defender at times I think that honestly I would expect to see LeBron as his primary defender at points because that is something where LeBron 
is not always the most engaged defensively anymore, nor can you really expect him to lock in for you know his entire minutes load on that end at age 38. But I, I, one of the few areas where he never really sort of lets go of the rope is as a post defender because you're not going to show him up. Like, you know, He knows that no one's going to notice he gets back cut six times a game or whatever, or most fans are not going to notice that. But you know, he's not going to let himself just get back down and put in the basket. And so I think that having him on Jokic for various points might be another look that the Lakers go out there and throw while having, you know, I think they're going to send some hard doubles, I think, at times. I think at times they're going to sort of, like, dig down and sort of fake the double team. I think that they're just going to try a bunch of different stuff to at least make it so that Jokic does not feel like the reads are automatic, where he has to think about it at the very least every single time what the correct pass is in this situation. So Jamal Murray, he had 31 in game one. How should they try to deal with him? Yeah, I think that, honestly, you know, I think that they're probably going to, you know, I think that we're going to continue to see Dennis on him a little bit. I think that, you know, to some degree, like Anthony Davis is probably going to have to come up and play higher, like when his man is out there in, like, in screens with Jamal Murray and, you know, show a little bit more. But also, at the same time, I think, you know, to some degree, you know, in the playoffs, you have to let the other team have something. You can't just only let their bad shooters have stuff. And, like, to some degree, I, I would expect that the Lakers, like, if, if they're just going to get roasted for 31 every single night by Jamal Murray, I, I think to some degree they're just going to have to live with that because I, I think that so much more of their strategy is going to have to be predicated on trying to slow down Jokic and making sure that it's not just him absolutely killing them. But you can't, you can't let it be both like they did in game one. And so that's sort of the problem that they're going to have to find some answers to. So kind of along those lines, is there anything else at the defensive end that the Lakers might or should do differently tonight? You know, I, I think there's going to be – they're going to have to figure out because obviously, you know, if they go to the Rui on Jokic uh, adjustment, they, you know, they're going to have to – the Nuggets are going to have counters for that. They're going to be ready and trying to potentially get, you know, um, like, uh, like uh, try and get Aaron Gordon up setting those screens or something like that, take AD out of the paint to sort of make that a little bit. We saw this with Golden State where the Lakers, you know, they sort of started to figure out the AD roamer, make it, try to get him helping higher out of the paint. So the Lakers are going to have to come up with some counters to that and find some ways to kind of creatively get AD still down near the rim and get some extra help. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that we're going to see, you know, just sort of a variety of um, different strategies from them tonight. Talking Lakers and uh, Nuggets with Harrison Fagan for uh, silver screen and roll. Okay, they scored 126 points in the first game, including 72 in the second half. Other than hoping D'Angelo Russell actually makes a few shots, uh, you know, they did score 126, so sh- should they do anything differently at the offensive end in, in game two? Yeah, you know, I-, I would expect LeBron to be a little bit more active going to the basket and trying to, like, I know he did hunt Jamal Murray a little bit, and I actually thought the, nu- the Nuggets kind of threw him off a little bit by a couple times. They stuck Jamal Murray on him outright, and you could tell he was almost confused. He's like, wait, I don't have to run screens to get this guy on? Like, he's just on me? I don't, and the, the Lakers almost didn't know what to do because their whole offense was like, hey, we're going to hunt this guy, and the Nuggets just kind of gave him up. They're like, here you go. Uh, good luck. Um, and... So I would expect LeBron to be, but I still thought that he settled for a lot of jumpers. And we've seen that throughout the playoffs as like a leg conservation sort of metric from him uh, as strategy. And so I would expect 
that LeBron is a little bit more active trying to get to the rim tonight and, you know, attack around there. I think that one of the things that should give any Lakers fans sort of like confidence or people rooting for the Lakers is that it does not look like the Nuggets are going to have an answer for Anthony Davis. And so if he's able to score as easily as he was the other night, then I think that, you know, that's going to free him up and conserve some energy where he's able to put even more in on the defensive end uh, because, you know, the last two series he's had to work really hard for every single bucket that he's gotten, either versus Raymond Green or Jaron Jackson Jr. or these like guys that are, you know, all all defense caliber players. Jokic is charitably just not that and is also too important to his team offensively. He's trying to stay out of foul trouble. And so I think if AD is able to score as easily as he was the other night, that is going to continue to be a good barometer for the Lakers. And uh, like I would expect them to, you know, I would expect D'Lo to not shoot that horribly again. LeBron, he almost had a triple-double, 26 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, but he did miss a three and turn it over in a couple of late-game possessions. Might he change his approach uh, at the end of game, a game if it's a close game? Yeah, you know, I want to say yes, just because we have seen him at various points during the playoffs lock in and try and get to the basket, but to be honest, I think – some of that burst is just gone and it's not coming back, especially when he's playing through, you know, I'm sure you saw the comments of like, oh, like only the LeBron James defeat told me that I didn't need foot surgery and, you know, all that stuff. It's clear that he's playing through an active foot injury that has sapped some of that sort of burst a little bit. And so, and, but to be honest, even before that, you know, uh, sort of a hallmark of LeBron James' experience the last couple of years is that he he settles for jumpers more than you would like him to, especially at the end of games. That has been, you know, we have sort of a running bit in our, you know, like a silver screen roll group chat of like, oh, like I, I we know what plays coming out here at the end of the game is Le- LeBron pull up three. And sure enough, you know, more times than not, that is sort of the play. And the Lakers are going to sort of live and die with him taking those to some degree. I would like to see him getting going more to the basket late in games. I'm just not sure that I'm, like, ready to predict it. Yeah, along those lines, you know, Doug Collins, I think, was actually the best NBA commentator I've ever heard on television. He used to use the term fool's gold a lot when, you know, somebody Mm -hmm. made a shot that he probably shouldn't take. Is it like fool's gold when LeBron makes a few threes? I would say uh, no, just because I think like the fool's gold is almost like where it entices a guy to settle more than he normally would. Where like I think LeBron settles about the same amount whether his uh, whether his jumper is on or not. And so obviously you'd rather have the threes go in. That has not been the case for the majority of this playoff run. And so you know I think the Lakers, you know, fool's gold, whatever, they'll they'll take it if those jumpers are going in, just because I think he's going to take about the same amount of them regardless. Okay, you mentioned you know the report out there, maybe probably more than one. I know of one uh, that you know, Darvin Ham may make a lineup change. Uh, other than the Hachimuri thing, is, is what what else would be a possibility? So, I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure that I, it, like obviously someone's going to have to come out. My guess would be that that is Dennis Schroeder, at least initially, where he goes back to the bench and you know tries to come in, change a pace option type thing against Jamal Murray, and just really make his life difficult there. Um, and they go to you know uh, like potentially Austin Reeves on him a little bit more in the starting lineup. Um, but yeah, I mean for the most part, like I, that is sort of the adjustment that I would expect, just because I think that they just need more links on the floor and. I I think Rui has clearly shown that he can play this series both defensively and offensively. You mentioned Schroeder. Um, yeah, I think it's safe to say he's been a polarizing figure in a couple of his stops around the NBA. Well, what's your take on him, for the, especially right now with the Lakers? 
I think that he, I understand, he has very much been a polarizing presence uh, during just his time in Los Angeles, his two stints in Los Angeles. And so, yeah, I, I definitely am aware of that rep and, uh, you know, the whole, like, you know, how much money he turned down and how highly he clearly thinks of his game and how much he believes in himself that has led to, you know, like some, like, questionable shot selection at times and, you know, various teams, you know, doing better at times when he is not around. But for the most part, you know, He's on a veteran's minimum contract for the Lakers. He has, by basically any metric, vastly outperformed the contract that he is on with the Lakers uh, this season, given how many games he's been able to sort of help steal them, both in the regular season and how valuable he's been, you know, as a core member of their playoff rotation. So, yeah, like Dennis absolutely has his flaws. He is a guy that is an irritant. He is a guy that is not afraid to sell contact. He is a guy that is not afraid to get into, like, some trash talk, war of words, whatever, with the opposing player. I feel like he is in the top ten of guys in NBA that would be most annoying to play both with and against in pickup. Um, but he is <laughs> – like, he's also a guy that has helped, uh, you know, the Lakers a, a great deal more than you would expect for someone making the amount of money that he is making. Okay, so the Nuggets. Uh, you know, the number one seed, they're playing great. I mean, it's just not Jokic. You know, they're complimentary players. Obviously, played well, especially at the end of the Sun series. What impressed you the most? Yeah, you know, Michael Malone might be an answer to this too. What has impressed you the most with the Nuggets? So, uh, Michael Malone is a good answer, just because I thought that the Denver scouting report was really, really good to start for the last game. I think that it was clearly, you know, on there. They clearly have, you know, top bullet point on there, like you know, run at every single opportunity possible. Run this Lakers team is not a good transition defense team. If you secure the rebounds, like try and get out. You can, like, they're an incredible half court defense. But if we can get them running, but, you know, LeBron's not always going to get back. D'Lo's not always going to get back. You're going to be able to get buckets there. And then the other thing that I really liked from them was, uh, or I guess I didn't really like it, but I thought was very smart from them, um, was, you know, that they clearly had very high on the scouting report that when that LeBron-Rui front court is in there while AD is off the floor, go to the rim like a heat-seeking missile every single time. Go to the basket because, you know, LeBron's going to get some weak side blocks occasionally. Rui has shown that ability occasionally. But for the most part, you are going to get a layup line at the rim if you drive on that group. And so that is frankly why I would expect you know, potentially some Wenyan Gabriel minutes with those reserves when AD comes out at times just to get a little bit more rim protection on the floor. Even a guy that's like foul prone and can make them sort of earn it at the line versus just giving up easy layups every single time and is at least going to hustle, maybe create some second chance opportunities on the glass. But, you know, beyond the Nuggets coaching and stuff like that, I, I honestly was really impressed with Michael Porter Jr. Like uh, defensively, yeah. he leaves something to be desired, but I thought that the moment uh, did not look too big for him offensively, and I was really impressed by how you know how he attacked his matchup, and he saw that the Lakers were sort of frankly disrespecting him a little bit with the way that they were guarding him, and he you know was more than ready to take advantage. Okay, so the start of this game, the Lakers got out. Actually, the Nuggets had twenty of the first twenty-three rebounds in this game the other night. How does that happen? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, that that is to some degree. I think that's part of that is the AD on Jokic matchup takes him away from the basket. He is the Lakers' ob obviously best rebounder. Um, LeBron was not as active on the glass as he's shown he can be during his career. I, I think just really no one was digging down. And the Nuggets, you know, again, it was on their scouting report that, like, hey, if AD's away from the rim, they're going to be, you know, offensive rebound opportunities there. And they took advantage. And I think, frankly, just like out-hustled and out-executed the Lakers on that end. 
Okay, so bottom line here, the Lakers are roughly getting, depending on where you do your business, if you do business and bet on games, uh, Lakers are getting five. Let's go five and a half. That's the number we're using here. Uh, would you take the Lakers plus five and a half? And what do you think their chances of winning straight up would be tonight? Uh, I, I do think I expect, I'm definitely not a gambling guy. And so like, I think, you know, I would expect them to keep it close. So yeah, I, I think I would take that line. Um, and you know, again, limited gambling experience aside. Um, and I would also say that I, I do, I do expect them to win tonight. I think that they're going to come out and try and throw a pretty good punch, tie the series up one, one. And then I would expect them to, you know, end up splitting back home if they ultimately get that result. And then, you know, we're at a series. I, I, I expect the series to be 2-2 going to game five one way or the other okay i gotta ask you i have to ask now after that uh, who wins the series uh, i i have lakers and seven going into uh going into the series i i think that i like some of their matchups i like their matchups in the series i like that ad is going to be able to get going offensively fairly easily i think the lakers have enough defensive stuff and i don't think that the nuggets are going to shoot like 50 percent on above the break threes uh, in every single game this series. And so I think that the Lakers, you know, uh, the way that I've described it is I think that they had a lot of sort of the puzzle piece answers in game one. And I think that we saw one of them most notably down the stretch. I just think that they almost deployed them in the wrong or- order. I think the small lineup can work, but only against Denver's bench. I think that they figured out that they, you know, going big against the Denver starters is going to be a little bit of an answer there. I think that they're going to have mul- more looks that they throw at Jokic during this game. I do think that the Lakers, uh, you know, again, a, a, a seven pick is almost like a cowardly coin flip type thing. I, I respect the Nuggets. I think that they very much have a chance to win this series and potentially even win it earlier than that, but I like the Lakers matchups. I like the way that they're playing, and I think that, you know, as the series goes on and they continue to, you know, I would another thing I would look for tonight is for them to try and make Jokic work more defensively, try and, like, uh, really attack him mm-hmm. and tire his legs yep. out, and I think that, you know, the fatigue factor from that as the series goes on and as the Lakers continue to be physical and sort of make him think about things, I, I think that they're going to be to pull this one out. Harrison, always a pleasure talking to you. And for the record, uh, we, we would have uh, called you for today, even if the Lakers had won game one. So how's that? <laughs> I'll, I'll take trust it. Me. Yeah, no, hopefully, you trust, know, I, trust I'm ready me to on that. After they win in seven and take a good victory lap too. <laughs> okay. I can remember that. No problem. Thanks a lot. I'm glad you're feeling better. <laughs> take care. <laughs> All right. You, you too, Bob. See ya.